Good morning to all of you. Good to see all of you here. Good to be together. If you're not already there, go ahead and get your Bible open to Psalm 27, where we're going to be spending almost all of our time this morning. Um, before we do that, though, I, I do want to take a moment to uh, say a couple things um, related. This is our last uh, Sunday with Brother Somebody. Um, um, our good brother Nelson will be uh, next week. We'll be sending him over to the Prospect um, Heights Church. I'm not going to say too much because I don't want to look get, look stupid up here getting emotional about sending somebody six blocks away. You know, like we're not he's not even going that far. But uh, I do I do just want to acknowledge uh, before the congregation and before everybody here um, the good work that he has done here and in the city um, for the past five or six years. Uh, since we met him in uh, in West Harlem, um, when Ben and I um, first started talking about um, starting uh, helping to plant a work here in Brooklyn, uh, we didn't know if it was just going to be Ben and Emily, me, Lindsay, and Richard um, at the time. Uh, those were the only people that we knew would be a part of this, and uh, and yet when, in the early stages of planning. Uh, Nelson eagerly volunteered to come with us to uh, to help in the work here as we planted this new work. Um, as most of you know, he's lived with us for a few years now, too. And uh, so we're going to miss having him in our home. Uh, but uh, do continue to be prayerful for him and continue to uphold his hands in the good work that he is going to continue to do by God's grace. Uh, he will certainly need that. Um, and it's easy when people are no longer in our presence to forget about people um, to, to uh, you know, ignore their needs and, uh, and not continue to treat them like family. But Nelson will always be family to us. And uh, we want to continue to encourage him as he goes out to do the good work uh, wherever he may go, but more specifically at the Prospect Heights Church uh, uh, starting next month. Um, enough about that for now. Um, there'll be plenty more to say later on. Uh, but, uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit more at the end. But let's turn our attention to Psalm 27, and let's turn our attention to the one who has made everything good out of Nelson and out of every one of us, what it is, good. Let's turn our attention to the Lord. Um, I love this psalm. It is such a beautiful psalm. Uh, and I could tell even as Brian was reading this, that this psalm has impacted many of you uh, in powerful, powerful ways. Um, the psalms are special to me. Uh, they've helped me through a lot of hard times. They've helped me through uh, to figure out how to get close to the Lord in difficult times and how to deal with hardships that arise and trials and challenges. Um, but perhaps no psalm has been more helpful to me personally than Psalm 27, than this particular psalm. Uh, and I want to share some thoughts today. Uh, I was encouraged by a sister recently um, that uh, it would be good for the church to think more seriously uh, about prayer, what that is and what that looks like. Uh, I thought that was uh, good advice and good counsel. Um, we, we haven't done a lot of specific focus on that as a congregation uh, of late. And uh, so I'd like to do that um, starting today uh, over the course of the rest of the year a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about prayer. Uh, one thing that's been helpful to me in prayer is the acronym ACTS. Maybe some of you have heard that. The A stands for adoration the C for confession, the T for thanksgiving, and the S for supplication. And that is 
that acronym, I don't even know exactly how it originated, but it's loosely based off of the Lord's Prayer, at least to some extent, as I've been told. Um, but, uh, but you'll notice that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, it began with, Our Father is in heaven, hallowed be your name. He begins his prayer with adoration. Uh, and so today, what I would like to do is I'd like for us to, to take Psalm 27 as kind of a portrait of what adoration is, what it looks like, um, and, and how to actually, how to actually um, begin the exercise uh, of praising God in prayer. Uh, that's going to be the focus of our, our study today. So when we talk about adoration and how to praise God in prayer, I, I want today to look at first an explanation of what do we mean by that? What is adoration and what does that look like in prayer? Um, secondly, I want to talk a little bit about why adoration is such a critical component of prayer. I would argue perhaps even the most critical and important component of prayer. So we're going to talk about explanation of adoration, the importance of adoration. And then finally, we'll talk about the impact. What does adoration do for me and for you as we devote ourselves in prayer to it? So explanation, uh, uh, an explanation, importance, and impact. Those are our words for today. All right, look with me again in Psalm 27. And in verse 4 is where we're going to begin. Where David says this, One thing I have asked from the Lord, and that I shall see, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Uh, I think this is a beautiful picture and a beautiful explanation here in verse four of what adoration really looks like. Um, adoration is uh, beholding the beauty of the Lord. It is learning. I like the, the NIV says here, uh, learning to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Notice here about David that he is going into the presence of God, into the temple, and he wants to be in God's presence. Why? Well, he's not going to ask for a blessing, not, a bit, not in this prayer. He's not going to ask for healing. He's not going to ask for deliverance or for forgiveness. He's going into the presence of God simply to ask for God himself. And that's what adoration is. Adoration is going into the presence of God to ask for nothing but God himself, to look upon God and to gaze upon his beauty. We just sang about the law of the Lord. Why is it that we spend so much time talking about looking into the law of the Lord? We look into the law of the Lord because it's in the law of the Lord that we see the Lord himself, that we learn about the Lord himself. We learn about who God is and what God does. And notice that David models this for us in the psalm. In Psalm 27, you can see him going into the presence of God and then meditating on and looking at God and reflecting on the things that he sees about God. David is in a time when he writes the psalm, in a time of deep, deep darkness in his life. And we just sang, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest upon his unchanging grace. I want you to think about this. When David is in the period of darkness, what is he thinking about? What is he meditating on to help him through those, those stormy days, those dark clouds that he are, he's facing? He's, he's thinking about the Lord is his light. The Lord is my light. The, when I can't see anything, the Lord is still there to guide me and to lead me. He is my light. He's the one who illuminates my life 
and gives it meaning and warmth. And he's the one who shows me the way. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Look at, the, look at David reflecting in verse one on God being his salvation. Now, you'll notice in the psalm as we are reading this, that David is in need of saving. There's a lot of stuff going on in his life. There's a lot of evildoers coming upon him, adversaries, enemies, hosts, hosts encamping against him, war arising against him. His father and his mother have forsaken him. He's got all sorts of adversaries, false witnesses who have risen against him, breathing out violence against him in times of trial and in times of hardship. And when David needs rescue, where does he go? He goes to the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. When enemies come against him, the Lord is the defense of my life. Notice that David here is reflecting on who God is. And that's what adoration is all about. We're taking time to think about who the Lord is. And also, I'll add, what the Lord has done. What the Lord has done. Look at verse 5. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies. Well, how does David know that? How does David know that the Lord is going to conceal him, that the Lord is going to hide him, that the Lord is going to lift him up? He knows that because he has seen the Lord hide him before. He has seen the Lord protect him before. He has seen the Lord conceal him and keep him from his enemies. He has seen the Lord win battles for him when he had no business winning a battle. Remember Goliath? There's no chance. The Lord won the victory. The Lord is the one who is there. And so David is coming into the presence of God to look upon the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And let me suggest this. Adoration is an exercise. It's a discipline. It's learning to, 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 to exercise my mind to think about who God is. It's an exercise involving meditation. Did you notice in verse four, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple? It's an exercise involving meditation and admiration, or the word we would use is praise. David's coming in and he's thinking about who God is, and that naturally leads him to praise God and to glorify God for the great things that he's done. And I want you to think about this too, this verb, to gaze or to behold his beauty. What does that imply? Well, first of all, to gaze upon something is to inquire about something to seek something out, to look at something carefully, to observe something. And that's what David is doing. Uh, it takes intelligence. You, you, you can't just, uh, you can't do that without your mind. You're putting your mind to work, thinking about the Lord and looking at the goodness of God. It involves seeking and inquiry. Um, but to gaze also implies praise and admiration. And we understand this, right? Uh, we've we've recently been added to our number a, num a number of uh, new members who love nature and that's been a blessing for me. It's got me back in t in touch with a little bit of uh, my youth there, where I spent more time in the woods and out in the fields. Um, you get in the city a while and and you know nature is there's not a whole lot of it here unless you uh, spend your days in Prospect Park or something. Um, and, and it can get away. But but think about this: those of you that have traveled and been to beautiful places, what happens? When, you, when you're seeing some sort of beautiful view, uh, you just naturally, you want to gaze upon it. You want to look at it. You want to inquire. You want to study every part of that and learn about it because it's beautiful. Not only that, you want to talk about it. 
You want, to, you want people to come with you and see this. It's not something you just want to see by yourself. You want to share. You want other people to be able to experience the beauty of whatever it is that you're experiencing. That's the way it is. With David, he is gazing upon the Lord and it leads him into an overflow of praise. Where you see this psalm is not just David praising God privately, but also encouraging the congregation, encouraging the people to join in praising God and in admiring God for how wonderful and how beautiful he truly is. Let me just add one other thing here. To gaze implies finding satisfaction. What you see here in this psalm is that David has learned to be content with God himself. And even when he has nothing else. David has found satisfaction in the Lord. And adoration is about me learning when I pray to God for other things. That actually what I'm asking for has already been given me in God himself. All right, now I may sound weird to you and you may not understand what I mean by that. So let me explain. You struggling with your health? You feel like you need healing from God? Pray to God. The Bible teaches us to pray and ask for healing. But as I pray for healing, what else should I be remembering as I pray? That the greatest healing God has already provided for me in Christ Jesus, my Lord. The greatest healing has already been accomplished when Jesus died on the cross. When, when I learned to pray for other things, the Bible teaches us to pray for many things. And we'll talk about that more over the coming weeks. But when I pray for other things, I should also be remembering that even if God doesn't answer this prayer in the way that I want, God has already answered it in a far better way than any way that I could ever ask or think. The Lord does far ab abundantly be above and beyond anything we could ever ask or think. And so adoration is about learning to be satisfied with God himself. Learning to be okay if everything else in life is not okay. Learning to be okay with God. Now, this is important. Uh, and I want to talk about the importance of adoration for a second because for, for a couple of reasons. One, um, first of all, it's important for us to understand that everybody participates in adoration. Everybody worships. All right. Uh, David Foster Wallace, uh, he was not a believer in Jesus, um, but, uh, but uh, an inquisitive guy and an insightful man um, before he passed away. Uh, he has a famous, I think it was a graduation speech where he was talking about this. And, and, he, and he made the quote, everybody worships. The only choice we get in life is what we choose to worship. And he went on to talk about all the different things that people worship that end up leaving them empty. And end up ruining their lives. Worship, you worship your uh, your, your um, sex appeal, for example. He talks about how you know you'll 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 die a thousand deaths, always feeling like you're too ugly, and always feeling like you're you're never beautiful enough. Um, you worship money, and you'll never be satisfied with it. You'll never have enough to actually actually make you content. You worship power. He talks about how you'll never get enough of it to ever make leave you feeling satisfied. And he says that's actually the appeal of having a god to worship. That there's something out there that actually could satisfy you. And he's right about this. The truth is, the Bible teaches this. That any, any other human, any other created thing that I put my trust in, that I come to and I adore and I worship, is eventually going to disappoint me. We've seen that, right? People that put their trust in marriages. 
put their they, they their their praise and their worship is focused on their marriage, what happens? Inevitably, even in a good marriage, there are going to be disappointments. Even in a healthy marriage, there are going to be longings that go unfulfilled. Marriage cannot satisfy. Um, people that put their trust in wealth, they can get more and more and more. They can have more than everybody around them. They can be the Joneses and yet still not be satisfied. That's the way it works. Put your trust in any other thing and worship any other thing. And eventually it's going to disappoint you. So adoration is inevitable. Therefore, it's important for me to learn to adore and to praise the true God, the creator of all. And this is our problem. Many of us spend our whole lives worshiping creation rather than the creator. Remember that Paul said in Romans 1, that's where all of mankind's problems began. They exchanged the creature, the creator for the creature. They're worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And that is our problem too. Where am I placing my worship? Where is my adoration? I need to think about this. Secondly, adoration is inevitable, but it also adoration produces endurance. And to get you to think about this, I want you to ask yourself the question as you read this psalm. If you were David, would you be okay when you wrote this psalm? I mean, I just want to go through again. I already said this, but I want to go through this again. Uh, all the things that are talked about in the psalm that, that David's going through uh, as he reads this. Uh, or as he writes this, um, evildoers coming upon him, verse two, adversaries and enemies. Um, verse three, a host encamping against him, war arising against him. Uh, verse 10, my father and my mother have forsaken me. All right, so not only does he have enemies on all sides, but now his own family's turned against him. Um, he's got adversaries. He's got false witnesses, people telling lies about him. People who are not telling the truth about him. And they're not telling the truth about him because they want to hurt him. They're breathing out violence against him. I want to ask you, if you were in David's shoes, is this the prayer that you would pray? Or would it sound different? How is David okay when he prays this? Well, what does he say? One thing. One thing I have asked from the Lord and that I shall see. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in this temple. Let me ask another question. Why are we not okay? If, if, to be honest, like many of us, most of us, dare I say most of us, we're doing in much better shape circumstantially than David was when he wrote this song. Most of us have much easier lives, much more comfortable lives than David did when he wrote this song. Why are we not okay? Why are we so anxious? Why are we so afraid? Why are we so de devastated and so quick to despair and be depressed? Well, I think the psalm is teaching us that all our failures, really, when you dig deep down, all our failures are failures of adoration. That is, the cure for all of our problems, for all of our ills, is to learn to see God as he truly and really is. Let me just try to illustrate that. Um, I want you to think about uh, some of the different things that we struggle with. Uh, seeking approval, for example. Seeking approval. We want, we want to please other people. We want other people to be pleased with us. All right, what, at the root of it, what is the problem with seeking approval? 
Well, I think a big part of the problem is that to me, when I'm seeking approval from men and from other people, my view of God is way too small and my view of people is way too big. People have become way too important to me. And again, what's the problem? I don't see God rightly. I don't see God as he truly is. Therefore, other people seem so big to me. It matters what they think about me. If I saw the Lord on the throne, exalted, high and lifted up in all of his glory, it wouldn't matter to me what everybody else thought about me. The only thing that would matter is what the Lord thought. Let me take another one. Uh, Some of us are tempted with things like lust, pornography. This is interesting. Pornography is an idolatry of beauty. Have you thought about that? Pornography is an idolatry of beauty. It's taking something that God created beautiful, but then idolizing it and saying, this is actually what's going to satisfy you. What is the cure for pornography? What is the cure for lust? May I suggest that we need to turn to something that is far more beautiful than what pornography is? A cheap imitation of the beauty of our creator. That's what pornography is. We could go on, but I'm not going to for today for time. If you want to talk about that more, we can. But I want you to think about that. Adoration is the cure for all of our ills, for all of our problems. Uh, let me just say one more thing before we go to the impact uh, adoration has on David. Um, and that is the adoration proves that our love for God is genuine. Adoration proves that our love for God is genuine. And this is convicting to me. Um, because you remember Jesus saying things like in Matthew six, when you pray, don't go out on the street corner and be lifting up these great prayers to God, go in your closet, go where nobody can see you and pray to God. Think about this. Someone said this. I think this is absolutely true. Your religion is what you do with your solitude. Your religion is what you do with your solitude. What Where does your mind run and where do you go when you're all alone and you have nothing else you have to think about? That tells you what you're truly worshiping. And here's the thing. Think about this. For every other act of of worship and every other act of service and sacrifice in the kingdom of the Lord uh, that I can think of, there are other motivations that could sneak in. Right. Like for me coming to church, I mean, you know, I, I may be here at church, not because I should be here, not because I want to please the Lord, but just because. I know I'd be getting 50 phone calls if I didn't show up today, right? There are other motivations that could sneak in. You think about going out and serving people in in the world. There are lots of other good reasons why people serve. There are lots of other, and there can be selfish motivation for almost every other act of service to God, but not private prayer. In your closet, that's where you find out what really matters to you when you're all alone. And adoration is an opportunity to prove that our love for God is genuine. Jesus is disturbed because by, by the way they were praying because what it exposed about them was that they were hypocritical. They weren't really interested in God when they were praying. What were they interested in? The approval of men. Therefore, their prayers were not consistent. And I want you to think about this. Some of us, may not be, it may not be on the street corner that we're praying, but what about those of us who only when we're in trouble do we pray? Only when I really need something for God, from God. And so God becomes more like a vending machine that if I just punch the right buttons, out will pop whatever I want from God. Uh, then, it, then he becomes the object of my ador- adoration and object of my praise. Adoration proves that my love for God is genuine. If God is the supreme treasure of my heart, then my 
praise prayer life will be consistent. I will constantly be coming to him with praise and with adoration because he is my greatest treasure. He is what I value. All right, let's talk for a moment before we end uh, about the impact of adoration in the life of David and in the life of us. First, I want you to notice that the impact of, uh, of David's disciplining and meditating and, and spending time in adoration, the impact on him, the first thing that it did for him was it gave him peace. It gave him peace. Peace, confidence, trust. All throughout the psalm, let me point it out again. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Verse 3, though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Notice here that David has a peace that is not determined by his circumstances. Because pretty much everything in his life is miserable at the moment he prays this. But he has a confidence and, and I would say a trust in God even in the midst of the miserable circumstances around him that is rooted in his adoration. When I come to see God as he truly is, in all of his power, in all of his righteousness and justice, in all of his grace and mercy and everlasting love, when I see God and I truly see the goodness of God, you know what it does to me? It gives me peace. A peace the world doesn't know. A confidence that other people around me don't understand because I have a faith in God. He's faithful. Gives me peace. Think about this. Um, the more I come to fear the Lord, the more I will diligently work to please the Lord. And the more I work to please the Lord, the more confidence I have that I will always be with the Lord that he's going to be with me through all times. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. God is with me. And when I spend time in praise, I'm reminded of who God is. And it gives me a peace and a confidence and a trust that nothing in this world ever will be able to, able to offer me. This is a peace that surpasses understanding, a confidence that produces trust. Look at verse 13, where David says this, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know what, you know what David's admitting here? Were, were it not for the Lord who was on his side, he would have lost it. He would have crumbled. He would have broken down. He would, he would have had a mental breakdown, a spiritual breakdown, a physical breakdown. He would have been done for were it not for the Lord who was on his side. But he believed that he would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. Well, why did David believe that? Well, remember what he says in another psalm? He had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He'd seen the, the Lord's goodness throughout his life. By the time he writes this psalm, he's already killed a giant. He's already been through valleys and hardships and seen the Lord taken through it. He had seen the goodness of the Lord. Therefore, he will wait for it. He'll trust in God and have confidence in God. Uh, secondly, the impact of, uh, of adoration is humility. 
Now, I will admit, I don't think this is the primary point of the psalm, but I do think it's indirectly a point of the psalm, and it's all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible. Look at Psalm 27, verse 1. Again, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The implication is nobody except God. All right, look at the second one, though. Um, the Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? The implication is, again, nobody except God. And let me suggest this is what uh, adoration does for me. This is how adoration helps me to become humble. When I see God in all of his greatness as he truly is, what does that do for me? It helps me to see me in all of my smallness as I truly am. When I see God and I see all of his strength, it reminds me of my own weakness. You having trouble? Thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Look at God. See him as he truly is. You having trouble thinking of yourself more lowly than you ought to think. Look at God. See how much he values you and how much he treasures you and appreciates you. The impact of adoration is humility. If I spend time in prayer, looking at God, reflecting on God, meditating on who God is, what does that produce in me? It helps me to, it cuts me down to size and it helps me to see myself as I truly am. It produces humility. All right, look at verse six. Um, the impact is peace or trust and confidence. The impact is humility. Thirdly, the impact is praise and sacrifices. Look at ch chapters 27, Psalm 27 and verse six again. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Notice the impact of adoration is praise and sacrifices. When I come to see God as he really is, there's nobody I'm going to be sacrificing but him, right? All of my sacrifices that I may do for other things will pale in comparison to the sacrifices that I'm going to be willing to make for the God who has created me and the God who has loved me and the God who has blessed me abundantly beyond anything I could ask or think. When I come to see God as he really is, it produces in me sacrifices and sacrifices that are accompanied with praise. Let me give a word of exhortation here. Uh, a big part of what we do when we come together for worship, maybe the biggest part of what we do, is we are stirring each other up to look at God, to see God. Those of you who may lead when you teach, when you serve, when you minister, whether that's in this location or in another place, what is our job as we teach and we serve and we try to lead people? to understand God's word and to appreciate it. Our, our goal here is to get people to see God. And then we need to think about that. If I'm serving, if I'm leading, I need to think about how is this helping people to have a better understanding, a better appreciation for who God truly is? How can I show the Lord, how can I show the world that God is truly, truly beautiful? How can I show God's people how wonderful he truly is? That's what our goal is when we come together for worship. When we come together and we gather, we are to stir each other up to praise God. And that praise then will overflow in sacrifices as we leave here, giving our bodies back to him as living and holy sacrifices to him. Let me add to that. Um, we get peace, humility, praise, 
impacts us in all those ways. It also impacts us. It, it produces a diligence in seeking him. Do you see that here in the psalm? Uh, I, I like to talk about this sometimes in Psalm 1. Um, which comes first? The discipline of meditating on the word of God or the delight? Remember in Psalm 1 and verse 2? His delight will be in the law of the Lord. In his law, he'll meditate day and night. Which comes first? The meditation, the discipline, or the delight? Well, the truth is, it's kind of a trick question. It's both. If you don't see the beauty of God, then you're not going to do the hard work of disciplining yourself to look towards God and to see more of his beauty. At the same time, if I don't do the hard work of seeking him and see how beautiful he is, I'm, ne I'm never going to appreciate him enough to keep seeking him more. Notice that as David comes into the presence of God and he sees God's beauty, it produces in him an even deeper desire to seek the beauty of the Lord even more. One thing I've asked from the Lord and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I don't want to be anywhere else. Why? Because here is where I get to meditate in his temple and behold his beauty. That's what David is seeking. Look at verse 8 again. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Have you recognized of late that maybe you're not seeking God as diligently as you think you should? Or you recognize that maybe you need to grow in your diligence of seeking God? You know what the cure is? Adoration. You got to see the beauty of God. You got to appreciate how wonderful he is. And as you turn your eyes upon Jesus, and as you turn your eyes upon God and look full into his wonderful face, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Do you believe that? Adoration produces in us a desire to seek God more diligently. The more we get, the more we want. The more we, the more we come to appreciate his beauty, the more we will seek it with diligence. So David is given a peace. He's given a humility. He's given praise, sacrifices. He's given a seeking spirit. And lastly, let me say this. Um, the impact of adoration on David, it produces in him a patience towards God. A patience towards God. Look at this in verse 13 and 14 again. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Look at how the psalm ends. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. I probably should have noted here that there's actually kind of a turning in the psalm around verse uh, 7 or maybe verse 9. You notice the first part of the psalm, it seems as if David is completely content, complete, com completely at peace. But in verse 7, there's kind of a shift in the psalm where he's starting to cry out to God again and begging for God's grace and, and, and begging God not to hide his face and not to turn his servant away in anger, not to abandon him or forsake him. And I think one of the things that this psalm has taught me is that, uh, that praising God and adoring God and coming to... A, coming to uh, really practices discipline of adoration, is something that must be pursued patiently. It is something that we have, but we do not yet fully have. We see the beauty of God, but we don't yet fully see his beauty and his glory. I appreciate that God is greater than me, but I'm pretty confident I don't appreciate how fully greater God is than me. 
And so one of the things that the psalm is hinting at is that we're, we're going to continue to have to work towards appreciating God and his beauty more and more day after day. It doesn't come overnight, not even with David. Did he just get it and it was gone? After writing this psalm, read some of the other psalms he writes where he's frustrated and he's in a deep darkness again and he's wondering, how's he going to get out of it? Is the Lord actually going to be there for me? There are other times where David is despairing and distressed. And this is why we come together to renew our minds because we recognize that actually this adoration has to be stirred up in us again and again. And I want to encourage you. Maybe you're here today and you're like, this is crazy. I, I've never really thought about that in prayer. I've never really thought about spending a lot of time talking about praising God for all these things. And um, I want to encourage you, uh, start thinking about this. Make it a priority in your prayer life to praise God for the things that you see that he's doing that are good in your life. But don't get discouraged. Don't think that you're going to wake up tomorrow if you've never spent time praising God in prayer and start spitting out psalms that look like Psalm 27. Uh, they're not. It takes time. It takes work. It takes discipline and exercise. Um, we are all works in progress. But God is good. Therefore, we can keep working patiently, waiting for the Lord. You may have something going on in your life right now, and you may be thinking, man, I've been waiting for this a long time, and God hasn't come through for me yet. God hasn't provided. God hasn't actually accomplished what I hoped he would have accomplished in my life by this point. Um, don't give up. Be patient in your pursuit of adoration. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Therefore, let us continue to believe that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I want to read again the, this verse that we sang earlier. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Amen. Praise God. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much that we can come into your presence and praise you together today. We come to you with adoration. We, You are, God, our light. When darkness veils uh, and hides your face, God, we rest on your unchanging grace. When we're surrounded by storms and, and, and high and stormy gales, uh, our anchor holds within the veil because, Lord, you are our anchor. You are our light and our salvation. You are the defense of our life. Therefore, we are not afraid. Therefore, we are able to trust in you. Therefore, we have confidence because you are our God. And God, we come together today asking for nothing but, but more of the beauty of your presence, more of the beauty of your face, more uh, uh, help to be able to seek you more diligently and see the beauty of your glory. That's what we want more than anything else in life. Lord, we've tried to, we've tried worshiping so many other things and found them empty. We have tried uh, so, so many other things that we've sought satisfaction in that have left us empty and broken. And we're here because we've come to see the beauty of you. But Lord, help us to, since we've tasted your goodness, help us to see it more clearly day by day. Help us to appreciate you more. Help us to see just your goodness, your kindness, your grace that is unfailing 
even when it appears it's not. Help us to see your righteousness, your holiness, your purity. Help us to see your power, your magnificence, your, the splendor, the work of your hands. Help us, God, to meditate on you, to look upon your face, so that the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. God, we are so thankful for Jesus. We recognize that we have resources uh, that David didn't even have at the time he wrote the psalm to be able to see your faithfulness. You have proven your trustworthiness on the cross when you, get, when you did the hardest thing anyone ever could do by giving up your only son to die in our place on the cross. Truly, God, there is no God like you. You are the God of all gods, the Lord of all lords, and no one else can compare to you. So, Lord, may we, may we offer up to you uh, praise and sacrifices that are pleasing in your sight. Forgive us, Father, for the times in which we have failed to properly admire you and praise you and adore you. And we've turned our gaze on other things that have left us empty and turned us away from you and made us disobedient to you. And I pray, God, today for renewal for each one of us. May our eyes be taken off of every other thing and may our gaze be fixed fully on the beauty of your face, that we may grow in your likeness, that we may grow in our appreciation of your goodness. Help us to do that patiently, knowing that one day we will truly see you face to face. We long for that day, oh God. Thank you for Jesus who makes all that possible. It's through him we pray. Amen.